everyone, thanks for joining. This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh, and today I'm talking with Shu Matsuo Post about his new book. I have it here. I took her name, and we will be right back, so stick around. Hi, thanks for joining today. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, check out inboundambassador.com and you can also find me on buymeacoffee.com slash JJ Walsh to get some bonus information and insights from the series. Hi everyone, thanks for joining. Today we are talking about feminism in Japan. Thank you so much for joining, Shu. JJ, thank you so much for inviting me. This is awesome. I'm really enjoying your book. Thank you so much for sending it. Of course, I'm glad to hear that. And I love the color. It's so nice and colorful. Yeah, I love my cover as well. The the designer did a phenomenal job, so. That's great. Yeah, really nice. Um, now, I love so many of the stories. Uh, to give an introduction, let's start with how you introduced the book in your trailer on YouTube, which I, I thought was really impactful. You, mm-hmm. you talk about the lies that boys are told. Can you mm-hmm. tell us some? So, for example, uh, I took yeah. the name official trailer, You Are Lied To is like the opening scene. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so that's... Uh obviously the hook I, I wanted to get the attention of men especially because I wrote this book for men and um, you know I'm, I'm not trying to say that men are the victims of this movement at all it's just uh, I think the byproduct of patriarchy is you know uh, men feeling like the manhood is supposed to be a certain way um, for example you have to be stoic or you have to be strong all the time you have to win at everything and you know that could be exhausting um just to if that's the only acceptable way of being a man um because i you know it's it's okay to kind of go out of that the masculinity box or whatever you want to call it um and feel the feelings um when you do feel it because men have feelings we're just conditioned to not express them in public right so i feel like you know that's uh those are the lies that we have been told in society so that's how i wanted to get men's attention and that's how my trailer starts i love it it's powerful and in the imagery as well you're showing yourself as an athlete now i'd love to talk about this a bit more later but you are a plant-based endurance athlete tell us about that a little bit (laughs) yeah so my wife and i we decided to go plant-based about two years ago and um, for mostly for the environmental reason, uh, sustainability, you know, it's your show. And um, I'm friends with uh, some of your guests as well, uh, Robin Lewis and uh, Katie O'Brien uh, from um, Echo Deco. And, uh, you know, I, I support what they do. And, you know, we thought, my wife and I thought, okay, how can we contribute to that environmentalist? Um, the environmental issue and one of the things that we're doing is going plant-based and it's been working out great um health-wise too we feel healthier um and uh, i perform better in terms of so i'm a runner i i run marathons and 
um, I recover better and I, I can go longer. I can train harder actually since uh, I've become plant-based. So um, I can talk more about this. Um, I, I don't know if you want to save this for later, but that's uh, that's the transition that we've made. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about it a bit later as well if you have time. I love sure. the movie, uh, The Game Changers. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that really changed our view of uh, eating. And, you know, like um, a lot of people thought or I used to think like, you know, going plant based, you might not be as strong because you're not eating animal product or meat. Right. So um, and that's that's a total myth, um, according to that documentary. So and I, I completely agree. I feel actually stronger um, and then just like really clean all the time, which uh, which is great. Yeah. And I think it's connected to what you're talking about, about freeing yourself from patriarchy and mm -hmm. from living with stereotypes. And I think it's very similar as an athlete always being told you have to eat meat if you're going to compete. Um, I had the worst coaches growing up. I had, but you're like on retrospect, right? Like nobody knew back then. But mm -hmm. as a as a high school soccer player, mm -hmm. we were told the night before the game, eat a steak. The mm -hmm. morning of the game, mm -hmm. eat donuts or really <laughs> sugary things, yeah. you know? And none of us performed very well. Where then mm -hmm. later on we know if you eat carbs, if you eat pasta, if you eat lots of plant-based stuff, you're gonna perform well and not have that highs and lows, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> totally, yeah. So it's, it's, it is connected to your book because it's all about like freeing yourself and finding things that work for you which make you feel healthier and happier mm -hmm. in your life as well as well as speaking up for inequality and imbalance uh, absolutely I, I talk a little bit about this in my book as well you know the terms nikushoku danshi soshoku danshi uh, and soshoku danshi literally means uh herbivore men right so like grass eating men but th they don't mean vegan or plant-based men they mean like a weak or you know they associate eating uh plants as like weak or you know this uh inferior type of men and uh, it's I, I think it's a product of patriarchy right like men are supposed to eat meat because meat um is supposed to make you stronger and strong it's good strong is manly right so mm -hmm. And that, that's really interesting uh, for anybody not in Japan, that whole concept of Kyushu Danchi and the the tough guy, the macho guy from Kyushu, right? That's right, you were in Kyushu, it's, right? It's, yeah. I, I'm, Hiroshima. I'm in Hiroshima, Hiroshima. Hiroshima, but I lived, Sorry, in, I lived in Kyushu for uh, three years. Mm -hmm. and But I think that's one of the things that you, you talk about in the book as well, is that there's certain terms that are often used in Japan or all over the world which dismiss bad behavior mm -hmm. by men as mm -hmm. boys will be boys yeah. or Kyushu Danji, don't mind him, he's gonna say something sexist, that's just the way he is because he's macho and it's okay, you know? So I think you, you talk about that in your book quite well. Thank you. Yeah, totally. I think it's it's such a common phrase, like, oh, boys will be boys, men will be men. Um, but I want to kind of cross that last part and say boys will be held accountable for their actions. Men will be held accountable 
um, for the actions because I feel like that's what uh, women have to go through. No one says girls will be girls and then like give them like a free pass like the boys get, right? And I don't think that's fair. So, but then on the on the other side, you say um, girls are not dismissed or let off the hook by saying girls will be girls, but girls are actually put on the hook by saying you need to be more yeah. like a girl. You need to be this way because girls are this way. It's very rigid, right? Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, and, and you were talking about those kind of cages as, as a man as well, feeling mm -hmm. like you're, you're caged. Mm -hmm. um, one of the interesting examples, kind of in the beginning of the book, when you're talking about a customer asking for the male manager. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us that story? Yes. So I was, uh, that was my first year being back in Tokyo. So I, um, to give a quick, super quick intro or my background, I'm, I was born and raised in Japan and I moved to the U.S. for high school and university. So I was there for about eight years and I got a job in New York. So I worked in New York, um, and then came back to Tokyo for this job. So I was um, kind of Americanized and I wasn't like 100% Japanese at the time. Like, you know, I was kind of like, who am I? You know, my Japanese wasn't like at that level of uh, what a 24-year-old Japanese person should have. Um, but I was working on that. And I remember, so I, I, I think I had just become a like a manager, younger manager, and um this customer was calling and then he was speaking to a female um receptionist at the time and you know she picked it up and she quickly handed the call to me um saying that he wanted to talk to a male uh superior um and uh, at the time we had um a lot of expats from the US it was an american company and <clears throat> i had a lot of uh, female managers uh, above me Um, but none of them spoke um, Japanese. So I guess uh, like the, you know, the Japanese manager that uh, spoke Japanese was just me. And then that person specifically requested for a male person, male manager who spoke Japanese or, you know, speaks good enough Japanese. And, and then the funny thing is he didn't think I was Japanese and he wanted to speak to someone else like, hey, put on like an actual Japanese manager. <laughs> because <laughs> you're not like oh that is interesting but i just remember that story um that memory uh so vividly yeah. so i wanted to and put that in my and book then it's really interesting because you talk about you learned a technique from a friend who was american but he could speak mm -hmm. japanese but mm -hmm. he always kind of qualified before he started speaking he qualified i can speak japanese but it's not that good I lived mm -hmm. in America a long time, and then mm -hmm. he was kind of allowed to not have to speak Kegel. Yeah. And then yeah. you thought, even as a Japanese, maybe you should say that as well, <laughs> right? Exactly, yeah. And I really struggled with it uh, because of my identity. I, I guess I just really struggled to identify who I was at the time. So my friend, who just you talked about, um, he is... An American person, Japanese American. So his English is his native tongue, 
like really good. And he speaks Japanese pretty good as well. And he used that to his advantage in Japan, saying, um, hey, like my Japanese is okay,、uh, but my English is much stronger. Do you mind if I continue in English? And most people say, like, oh, yeah, that's fine. By the way, your Japanese is really good. I'm impressed.、Um, so he could, like, kind of take charge of the conversations with his、uh, mother tongue. And I couldn't do that because my English, I didn't feel like my English was good enough. And I'm not American, I'm actually Japanese. So I、uh, like, where do I place myself? I can't pull that card.、Um, that means maybe I just got to be better at my Japanese. And yeah, I really struggled with it. You,、mm-hmm. you call that the gaijin card, pulling the、yeah. gaijin card. And、yeah. I, I've done that. I have to admit, you know, like being in Japan as a non Japanese, it is hard. And、uh, sometimes you do make, make mistakes. And when you make mistakes, sometimes it's easier to just say, you know, I haven't, I, I'm not originally from here. And then people give you a break a bit more. Now,、mm-hmm. I think this plays into another theme of your book, which I thought was really interesting the whole idea of you are Japanese,、mm-hmm. but you felt a little bit more free being in other countries. Mm-hmm. Right? Can you talk about that a little bit?、Um, I think, I don't know.、Um, I don't know. This is how you feel、um, in Japan.、Um, like, I definitely felt that when I was, especially in Hong Kong, because、um, Hong Kong is,、um, it is a very diverse city. And、uh, I mean, everyone, most people look,、uh, are Asian and look kind of like me too. Um, but they knew that I wasn't from Hong Kong or you know, China.、Um, so they thought I was different. I couldn't speak the local language.、Um, so I kind of, in a way, I kind of got this like a you know, Gaijin card here. It's like, oh, this guy's Asian, but you know, he's not local here. It's okay. He's not going to understand our culture here.、Um, and I felt like I didn't have to deal with a lot of stuff that most local people. Had to deal with,、um, which in a way, I guess it could be a form of privilege.、Um, but I just、uh, kind of enjoyed it, especially because I grew up in Japan, which is、uh, very homogenous. And like, especially if you're Japanese, like, oh, you're a Japanese, Japanese boy, you're supposed to be this way, you know.、Um, so it was very liberating to experience that in foreign countries. Yeah. I, I feel that I've met many people over the years, many students who ended up going abroad to work,、um, who just felt too constrained in Japan.、Mm-hmm. And then recently, we had an activist, a young activist, Japanese woman, who was speaking up against Maury's comments.、Mm-hmm. Right? And she had lived and worked abroad.、Mm-hmm. And so. This is a really important part of the story, I think.、Mm-hmm. How a lot of Japanese just maybe feel too constrained by、mm-hmm. how you're supposed to behave. But if you have experience abroad, maybe you feel empowered to,、mm-hmm. to be more forthcoming with speaking out. Do,、mm-hmm. do, you, do you feel that way? I, I do, I do. And also, you know, as I aged, I felt like I, my, I, I knew my identity, like who I was, a lot better than when I was in my 20s、um, or teenager. 
um, you know, those years, like you're, you're just not sure about yourself even. Right. But now I feel a lot more sure about who I am. So like even being in Japan, cause I love this country. I love my home country. And there's so many beautiful things that, um, this country should maintain. And there are so many things that can be improved, especially, you know, when it comes to gender gap. Right. So, you know, I want to, um, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of um, making things better for the future um, in this country. Yeah, that's great. And I think what you're doing with um, taking advantage of the rules which are there for taking paternity leave, for example, mm. and and using it, whereas most people don't use it, or you know, a lot of people in Japan they don't use any holiday until <laughs> they're sick. You know, unless they're forced to. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe your experience abroad kind of empowers you in a way to take advantage of the change that these policies are trying to make. Mm-hmm. And then you're become a good role model for other people. You said somebody else in your office is also taking paternity leave, right? It's yes. definitely easier if somebody else does it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like people in Japan love trends. So when they start to see like, oh, this is becoming a trend, I hope, uh, you know, more and more, especially men will take uh, parental leave because um, I really believe uh, paternity leave. So I'm uh, I'm in my last month of my seven month uh, paternity leave right now. And it's I'm so grateful that I got to do this and I highly, highly recommend it to other men out there in Japan because, hey, like it's uh, provided by the government um, and no other countries um, do this. Like some, there are some countries in um, Scandinavia um, that have very similar systems, but um, from my research, I think Japan has the most generous system, uh, parental leave system for both mothers and fathers. So why not use it? And the more you use it, I think more men will understand how hard childcare is and how important it is for um, for children. And uh, you know, I think people will start to see start to see uh, work differently and also childcare differently. And I think that's going to create more. Uh, gender equal uh, workplace and society. So important. Um, It's so important that people take these opportunities when they're available, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. you do it in a way where you're like, I'm going to support you when you take yours, you know, like, please support me while I'm gone. And when you take your paternity leave or maternity Mm -hmm. leave, of course, I'm going to support you, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you create like a positive atmosphere at work where it could work well, right? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. I remember coming back from maternity leave and some of my uh, coworkers would say, did you have a nice holiday? (laughs) and i always said yeah actually this coming back to work that's the holiday i know i know it was really hard (laughs) like being with a baby 24 7 and being in a quiet office working on my computer hmm which is the holiday yeah (laughs) so true so true that's the that's my biggest finding from uh the last seven months yeah it's uh oftentimes it's harder than my full-time job i'm like oh man you know trying to balance this being waking up woken up at night five times you know five times in like five hours 
um it's hard it's it's really hard um it's hard. and it's also and rewarding it's, it's so wonderful for you that you have this experience of bonding with your child um it's also wonderful for your wife to share that experience together mm. um and that's so rare and i can't tell you how many uh, students I've met over many, many years in Japan who had no connection to their fathers. Mm-hmm. Their fathers were absent in their mm-hmm. lives, quite mm-hmm. often even lived in other cities, and they only saw them at holidays, maybe mm-hmm. once or twice a year. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many underlying problems there with people being transferred around or the mom and the kids staying and the dad moving away. Um, so having that relationship with your child as a father, that's going to have some great knock-on effects in future for him, but also for you and your continuing relationship as he grows up, I think. Mm-hmm. I hope so. And uh, from my perspective, I'm definitely getting that. Like I'm seeing my son grow up uh, in the last six months already and understanding like, you know, what gets him to sleep and like, you know, these tricks that I probably wouldn't have gotten if I uh, kept working, you know, throughout. Right. Um, so, yeah, I hope uh, this is going to this has built a really strong foundation of a relationship. Does your little guy, does he have a first word yet? No, not yet. He's, uh, he's, so he's turning six months in a couple of weeks. Um, all he can say is like, ah, 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 still. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, hoping it'll be data. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's what you're hoping. Um, I, I felt cheated because I was the one who stayed home with the baby. And I was really worried the first word was going to be data. <laughs> Because then it comes in and it's like exciting and mom's just here all the time. But actually, our son's first word was ampan, ampan man, which was his favorite, you know. So we were we were off the hook. It wasn't mom or dad. Ampan man. (laughs) Maybe that's what what we go after. Like, oh, it doesn't have to be mama or dada. It's got to be something else. Something neutral. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so many wonderful things to talk about. Um, w- quite often in your book, you talk about the 50-50 percentage of the Japanese population. And this is something that um, I often go back to in my mind. And actually, there's more women in Japan than men. But in, terms, right. in terms of representation, mm-hmm. you just wouldn't know that. Right. right. Looking <laughs> looking at the tops of companies, looking at the government, you know, like that that whole Morty scandal recently, how he <laughs> said women talk too much. And then the next knock on horrible thing that happened after was women being allowed into a meeting, but then they're told they're not allowed to speak at all. And, you know, it's like, what is happening? You know, <laughs> So that that whole idea that only a man's voice is worth listening to. Mm-hmm. Only a man can be an authority. Mm-hmm. How do you change that if only men are leaders? Yeah, um, I think that's the you know the million dollar question, or I guess billion dollar question that Japan has. Right? Um, it's so interesting that Japan has these like really. 
uh, audacious goals to have more equal representation in politics and, you know, in organizations and also, um, you know, achieving a better gender gap, right? Because um, we're placed 121st in the 153 country global gender index ranking, uh, which is the lowest in a developed country, um, as a developed country. And it really sad, saddens me. And it also makes sense because, you know, this kind of scandal happens, right, um, at the top, um, a former prime minister and uh, the head of uh, the Olympics and Paralympics committee. Um, and I think it's just, uh, um, yeah, the tradition that have carried on. And then, you know, those who are in power, they want to continue. They want to have the power, um, retain the power, right? And unless they're willing to um, really give up to someone else, because like if someone someone needs to <laughs> give that power to, I guess, like female leaders to actually achieve uh, more equality. Right. But I, I feel like no one's willing to do that at this point. It's almost just like a lip service, like, oh, we want more women to step up. But wait a minute, we can't find those qualified women. But. Um, I, I know I listened to um, your interview with Jackie Steele, um, who wrote the foreword to my book. And yeah, um, she did an amazing yeah, job. And I'm very grateful for that. And, you know, like she said, I, I, I just feel like we haven't tried hard enough. Like there are, if there are 50 percent, over 50 percent of the population uh, is women there. I guarantee there are so many qualified women. Um, to do the job. It's just that, um, you know, we aren't trying hard enough or we're, do we're not doing the right job to find those people or develop or train those people to, um, to you know, get the job. So um, I just feel like, um, I, I think, you know, talking to younger people, um, they're definitely a lot more gender equal. My, um, they have a gender equality mindset. Um, so I think just the, um, the leadership, especially political leadership needs diversity, um, in general, you know, whether it's a gender diversity, whether it's, um, you know, young, more, having more younger people, uh, a lot, a lot more different opinions so that, um, they're actually representing, uh, this country as a whole, not just like a very small group of, uh, powerful, um, men. Um, who want to retain their power. So, yeah. It's, I mean, it's very similar to what's happening in America, right? Leadership mm -hmm. by the mi minority. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of old men leading politics in America as well. It's not yeah. just Japan, right? Mm -hmm. um, you have a great quote here. I want to spend more of my time educating young adults than dealing with stubborn old men. <laughs> High school and college students today have an education I didn't get. That's why I have hope for the future. I imagine my children and grandchildren laughing about the time when gender inequality existed because their world will be much more equal. I really hope that day will come. <laughs> is that so from the great. Japan Times article? Yeah, that's a great <laughs> quote from the Japan Times. Uh, what a good interview. But yeah. I, I mean, it's so true, right? Like how you can't change stubborn old men. I'm sorry. Your hope is with the future generation. So mm -hmm. education, 
Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you call yourself a feminist. Tell us, what do you mean by that? Because that is the kind of education we need to teach to young people, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for me, feminism, being a feminist, is uh, being someone who stands for gender equality um, in, you know, political views, you know, social, um, you know, all kinds of um, aspects and as simple as that. And uh, the truth is, I feel like there's a lot of stigma around this word feminism. Um, it's usually very negative. Um, when, once you start saying like, oh, this is a fe- feminism movement or she's a feminist or, you know, this person is a feminist. Um, the first reaction most people would have is like, ooh, uh, I want to stay away from that person. Um, probably because of the, the extreme uh, examples that media uh, like to portray. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, I just think feminism is about gender equality. And when I learned that, I didn't know that e- either uh, six or seven years ago. But when I learned that, I was like, oh, then I should be a feminist. Um, I am a feminist then. And that's when uh, the famous uh, he for she speech by Emma Watson came out too. And that like reassured me, oh yeah, I should be a feminist. Okay, I'm gonna, how can I like call myself a feminist? What can I actually do to stand for uh, gender equality um, and you know stand against sexism so I guess that was uh, uh, the beginning of my journey and speaking to the younger generation I, I think um, you know they learn from the you know their parents they learn from school they learn from uh, the media older people right so I, I feel like this part of education is so crucial and if I can you know, make any type of impact to how they think or, you know, what they think about this issue. Because gender equality is one of the SDGs, like 17 really important goals that Japan loves to talk about these days, right? So I I feel like everyone should know what it actually means and what needs to get done to achieve it. And uh, I don't think there's um, enough education out there. Um, It's just like... uh, you know, you can kind of pick and choose um, what pick and choose the information that you want to consume from the media and or, you know, whatever that's online. And that might be accurate or that might not be accurate. Um, so I just want to, you know, kind of share my stories so that hopefully um, young the younger generation especially um, can learn about what what feminism is and what um, what they can do to achieve it. Mm-hmm. I I love this picture from your Instagram where you're you're flexing. You look like Rosie the Riveter, the famous <laughs> icon of oh, yeah. feminism for American women, for. right? Yeah. And you've got your feminist shirt on, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, in your Instagram, also you have a quote: "A feminist is not someone who believes that." women are superior and hates men. Mm-hmm. It's not about tearing men down and putting women up, right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. uh, you also talk about the more you learn, the more you see. Mm-hmm. I think that that's so true of everything, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the more I think about plastic pollution, the more I see it everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And the same for gender bias. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's what my book is about. It's about seeing those things,、uh, seeing the bias. So, yes, I did take my wife's name. And a lot of people's first reaction is like, okay, big deal. So what? And like, yeah, so what? Like, it shouldn't be a big deal. But I, through this experience, I, I started to see so much that I didn't know, admittedly. Like, the, how privileged I am as、um, a man in this society right now, right?、Uh, this patriarchal society. And I'm,、um, I'm glad that I'm seeing this now. And,、uh, you know, I'm, Taking, I'm trying to do what I can to take action.、Um, but if I maybe if I didn't go this process, I don't know how much,、um, how much I know now. You know,、uh, maybe I didn't, I wouldn't have seen as much.、Um, I wouldn't have known about the gender, the, the gender gap that we actually have. Maybe I might be in denial. I don't know. So that's what the book is about. That's what my experience of taking, changing my name. Yeah, in、uh, I think the interview with Japan Times,、um, you say it took Tina 15 minutes to get her American name changed from Tina Post to Tina Matsuo Post in the United States, but it took Shu eight months to get his name legally changed from Shuhei Matsuo to Shuhei Matsuo Post in Japan. It's hard to change your name. And if you have kids also who have a long name, that's also hard, which I'm sure you know. Like、mm-hmm. registering your child's birth certificate, you're、mm-hmm. not allowed to have three names. I've、mm-hmm. got three names. My、mm-hmm. kids have three names. That was difficult.、Mm-hmm. How, how was that, that for you guys with your baby?、Uh, yeah, so my, our son has a middle name. And in, in the US, it's,、uh, it's pretty common to have a, a middle name, right? And it was pretty easy. Like they just asked, like, what's his middle name? And then, okay, this is it. And in Japan, we decided to omit、um, his middle name because you can't really have a middle name in Koseki. I, it, and I was like, okay, that's just too much. Some people kind of combine it with their first name or last name. And we were like, okay, we already have two last names. So that's, you know, that's enough. So let's just give him a first name and a last name. And that's it. So、um, yeah, we try to keep it simple for him. I heard your, your son's name is Hawaiian. I'm originally from Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Is that familiar? Like, do you know I, anybody、I've、named Makoa? I've never、Makoa? heard of Is it、um, Makao? Makoa. Makoa. Yeah. No, I, Makoa. I'd never heard that name, but it's beautiful. I love it. And、Thank、tell, us, tell us the meaning why you chose yeah. it. Yeah. So, we,、um, to give you a little. Context so we didn't know the sex of um of this child until he decided to come out of the come out to the world. So we actually prepared a set of girls' names and a set of、uh, boys' names. Um, and for this is the the one that we really liked. Um, and we so the criteria was we wanted to make sure that it's easily pronounced by. Japanese people and American people, especially by his grandparents.、Um, and we wanted to have a so- some sort of a unique, like not too common name. Um, um, there's nothing wrong with having like, you know,、uh, popular names, but we kind of wanted something unique. And、uh, we heard about this name.、Uh, actually, my wife found out,、uh, found this name,、uh, Makoa.、Um, so it actually means bold. 
in Hawaiian, apparently, and we wanted him to have a bold and beautiful life. So um, that's what we named named him. That's wonderful. I, I love any any baby name which is done with thought, right? Like if you name it after a relative that you love, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. You name it because it has a meaning that's special to you, that's wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. Good good name. <laughs> yeah. And I hope he has a very bold life. Now, let's talk about the way that you met your wife because she has really been such an inspiration to you mm-hmm. in kind of helping you on this journey to mm-hmm. understand more about gender inequality and and why you do the things you do as a man mm-hmm. which you think you must do as a mm-hmm. man mm-hmm. i love that scene from your book where you have your first date your first special date can mm-hmm. you tell us that story yeah so that was the first uh birth of birthday her birthday that we celebrated together um she was born uh on september 11th so which is hard to forget especially if you're an american um so i remember pretty vividly um i took her out to this really nice restaurant and you know since it was her birthday i wanted to kind of show my chivalry as her man um so i wanted to treat her to this nice restaurant and i was like okay this is my time to impress her and uh and you know i remember like pulling um pulling out the chair for her, like when we entered, um, when we got to the table, um, and then kind of try to order um, like nice things, you know, a nice bottle of wine and nice things on the menu um, and so on. And she really, you know, she was very appreciative. It wasn't like, you know, hey, what are you, you know, why are you doing this? What are you doing? It was like more of a very nice gesture. Like, hey, can I ask, you know, why you do these things? Um, so we had been dating for a couple months, I think, um, or a few months then. And she noticed that, you know, when we're walking on streets, so Hong Kong, for those who, um, who've never been to Hong Kong, the streets are very narrow. So the sidewalks are so close to the, the traffic, you know, where cars run. Um, so I've read that in uh, a few dating books and articles that, uh, you know, if you're a man, you're supposed to walk on the, the closer side of the sidewalk um, to the traffic so that you're protecting, you know, you're providing protection to to your female date. And I was like, oh, OK, I'm going to do that. So I did that very consistently, you know, almost like every time we walked on streets. Um, and and sometimes it was very unnatural. Let me say, you know, and I thought I just had to do it. It wasn't like, of course, it was my choice, but I just felt like I had to do it. Like um, it was like an um, obligation um, as a good man that I thought I was supposed to be. So she asked me like a question like, hey, I noticed that you walk on this side of the street all the time. Can I ask why? And I was like, well, you know, I'm a man. I'm supposed to do this. Right. And she's just like, no, not really. Like, can, and then, you know, that's when uh, she started to like um, ask me probing questions. And that's when I started to actually think about why I was doing the things that I did um, instead of just like, well, that's what I read in these dating books. And I couldn't really answer uh, some of those questions that I kept asking myself. And that's when I was like, huh, 
yeah, why do I do these things? Do I really want to do these things? <laughs> like, um, and you know, I'm, I'm not saying like those nice things, like gestures are bad at all. Like, I'm not saying like you should reject, you know, those nice gestures to your dates. Um, it's just that if you feel like you have to do it, you know, you're not being in choice. Like, you know, you should be, it should be done by choice, right? You should enjoy doing it. Um, you should feel generous to do it. Um, otherwise, you know, why, why bother? So that's kind of like the, um, the start of our relationship, I guess. And that's when I realized like, okay, she's clearly pr pretty different. She's really challenging me, uh, with, uh, with my, the conditioning that I had in my head. And, uh, um, I want to continue. Yeah. I, I just got it really intrigued and, you know, she clearly, um, was still into me. So we continued to date. Um, and then she really helped me learn about, um, you know, kind of getting out of the, the man box per se. Um, and then, yeah, kind of appreciating, uh, I guess, femininity as well. Um, cause for, for me, now that I understand like masculinity, femininity, they're both very beautiful things, right? Like masculine qualities are beautiful. Feminine qualities are beautiful. Um, and just because you're a man doesn't mean you can only, or you should only enjoy masculine qualities. You should, um, you should enjoy feminine qualities as well. Same thing for women. Um, more women might naturally demonstrate feminine qualities, but it's, totally fine to, you know, demonstrate masculine qualities as well. So to me, like those qualities are just human qualities, you know? So, um, we should all embrace all, all types of those beautiful qualities. So now I know, but back then I, I didn't, I just felt like I needed to be masculine all the time. Well, you were, you were trying to be considerate. You were trying to be nice, you know? And I, I'm a woman, but I will open doors for people. You know, when I first started dating, I was the driver and I would open the door for my date and they would really weird out. And I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm a modern woman. I'm driving you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, but you're, you're right. Like women should be free to embrace their masculine qualities men should be free to embrace their feminine qualities and this you know might be linked up to something that you bring up in the book about certain set phrases that are often told to kids mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. like we we said before boys would be boys but mm -hmm. also like be a man mm -hmm. or you look like a girl as yeah. a negative thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are so toxic now that I think about it. And then, you know, a, a lot of people, and including media today too, um, you know, they, they tell that to kids and then they're so conditioned that, especially as a boy, a man, as a man, being like a girl or being like a woman is the biggest insult to them, which is awful, you know? It's definitely gender inequal, the sexism. Um, and that's why, you know, the insults like, hey, you're, um, you know, you're like a girl, you're acting like a girl, you're acting like the, the P word, you know, um, and that is supposed to be an insult because to a man acting like a woman is the ultimate insult. So, I mean, I've said those things when I was in high school, in college, and even as an adult, and which I'm not proud of. 
um, I just thought that was how I was supposed to be as a man, like I said. Uh, but now I know it's like, ah, no, that's not what I stand for. I, you know, I don't want to say those things because that's not who I am. Yeah. yeah. And, and they can ring in your head. You know, mm -hmm. they can they can affect you more than you realize. Right. Mm -hmm. um, there's one that always bugs me is boys be ambitious. <laughs> and students in Japan are often told this boys. Mm -hmm. And you're like, hey, wait a second. Like you're talking to a group of kids, boys and girls. Let's uh, update that a little bit. Yeah. Like, just be ambitious is fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. You don't, you don't need the boy-specific part, you know? No. Yeah, totally. Um, mm -hmm. One other thing that I, I thought was really powerful, you were talking about Japanese language is the cleanest language in the world. You were talking to friends about swear words, mm -hmm. and they were saying, what's the F word in Japanese? And you're like, mm, we don't have the F word. Japanese is a very clean language, but there's other ways besides the actual bad word. There's many other ways for the language to be powerful and mm -hmm. to be limiting, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought that yeah. was really powerful. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's ingrained in our language that we use and you can often see them in the characters as well, right? Um, my favorite uh, is, it's like when we refer to our husbands and wives, um, <clears throat> and there's a funny story um, in the book as well that I'm happy to share in here. So, you know, you can call your husband in Japan, shujin, right? Which a lot of women do um, still. And if you really think about it, those characters are, main person which means master right and if you really think about it why does it have to be a man to be a master like why can uh, the wife be a master but it's only used for to refer hus a husband so um a couple of years ago my wife was undergoing surgery on her foot and um, she had to go to this um, clinic in chiba um, and she went by herself for the first uh, consultation appointment. And the doctor spoke English, but the, the, the nurses didn't speak English at all. And her uh, surgery was scheduled for the next, next week. And uh, she had asked me to come. So I took the day off and um, I was gonna take a day off. And then the nurses wanted to make sure that someone, was gonna, someone else was gonna be there. And then they, they had assumed that I was the one to come. Um, so they wanted to ask um, in Japanese, like, is your shujin korarimasu ka? Go shujin korarimasu ka? You know, so it means like, is your master coming? So she like, she knew that because we had been talking about it. Um, she didn't like correct them and in the, you know, on the spot. But in her head, she was like, well, I don't have a master. I'm the master of my own life. <laughs> but she explained like, oh, are you talking about my husband? Yes, he's coming. Um so yeah, I just feel like it's uh, so interesting just by the way we refer to, you know, our husbands and wives. Like you can refer to your wife as kanai, which means like inside of the house, um, you know. Um, and then, you know, I, I kept thinking like, okay, what's actually the gender neutral 
way of calling your wife. Um, so I often just say like my partner, um, and some people are not sure if I'm married to a woman or if uh, how serious our relationship is, but you know, I stopped caring. Um, you know, sometimes I, I kind of started to say today, which is uh, pretty hard to say, <laughs> you know, it's a, a Japanese version of uh, partner. Um, but I think partner has become more popular, more common um, in Japan. So a lot more people started to say it, which is, which is uh, encouraging to me. So that's how I usually refer to my wife as a patona. Wow, that's an interesting story. And then, of course, having a baby in Japan, there are so many stereotypes about mm. the mom's role and the dad's role, like even in the hospital. Like mm -hmm. how many times as a pregnant woman in Japan was I berated for gaining too much weight, right? How many times was my husband who visited me in the hospital after I had the baby invited upstairs to the restaurant to have a steak dinner while I was in labor? <laughs> and I looked at him. He knew he wasn't going anywhere because, mm. you know, but that's like, oh, you don't want to be here for this hard part while she's in labor. You should go upstairs. Go relax. Enjoy yourself. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, this is 18 years ago. I really right. hope things are changing. So I hope you were, you had a more kind of gender neutral. Both parents are important. Uh, one is not just a visitor kind of experience when you yeah. had your baby. Yeah, we had our baby in, in the U.S. actually. Oh, okay. So we, we, we went back um, to her home. And um, so during COVID, I was very fortunate to be part of this actually they allowed one family member and you know i got to be the one and i saw it all actually and my wife had a pretty long labor actually and just being with her and just counting down uh you know to push you know she uh, she pushed for three hours um and you know, I, it was, I knew it was a very long time. And just by counting, I was exhausted. So I couldn't even imagine how exhausted she was <laughs> to push the baby out to the world. So I have just like, it's just so much respect and admiration to all mothers um, who go through this process. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it was a miracle. And it really changed the way I see things forever um, in a good way. So yeah yeah that's wonderful well it sounds like you you have a great start to a wonderful family life as both mom and dad uh we have about 10 more minutes is there any part of the book or any of the philosophy that was behind the book that we haven't touched on yet that you want to bring up um i, I think you ask like wonderful excellent questions so i think we covered pretty much um a lot um, I guess kind of going back to the, the diet piece, um, we touched upon it a little bit earlier. Um, so I, you know, I, um, when my wife and I are plant-based and, you know, we think this is part of, um, for the environmental and health reasons, but also like, I think this is related to this, uh, gender, you know, um, kind of attacking the patriarchy as well. Um, especially for me, because I used to associate meat eating um, as masculine uh, masculine quality, quality, and I'm now like ditching it, right? So, am I 
less of a man? Well, I don't think so. And if someone thinks that way, I don't care um, because I feel great and being healthy. And, you know, to me, if, you know, being able to save, well, just us doing this alone is not going to save the planet. But uh, if more people will start to do that, I think it's going to make a lot bigger impact. And to me, like saving a planet is a lot more heroic. Um, and I think being trying to be a hero is such a masculine quality. So I'm kind of trying to think that way. I'm like, oh, it can be a masculine quality, too, by not <laughs> eating meat. So it's it really is about what you think, you know, challenging your mindset about the lifestyle you choose to live. Um, so that's kind of how I tell my, what I tell myself about my diet. And yeah, I feel as strong or if not stronger, um, just by eating plants. Um, and, uh, yeah, just feel a lot better in general. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that's great. And I think, I think the whole philosophy of uh, eating eating more sustainable, right? Eating local veg, eating yeah. plant-based uh, proteins. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's it's often people might critique it and saying, "Oh, that you're not tough enough," and mm -hmm. then, but you're an endurance athlete, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> and you're plant-based. You're like a great role model for anyone questioning the fact that you can give up meat because you you do marathons. Um, you meditate, you've done triathlons. I've, I've got a picture here. You did, uh, golfing triathlon yeah, golf yeah. and cycling <laughs> and running. I've never seen that one. <laughs> yeah. That's a sport my dad actually started. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun cause, uh, we're, um, we grew up playing golf. Um, he's a big golfer and, uh, he was like, Hey, what can we do? Like just combining everything that we like to do um he's a runner as well and he cycled so oh why don't we just create a new sport called golf triathlon so yeah it's uh it was a lot of fun we did it uh two years ago in 2019 so that was the first uh first official tournament um and he plans to do more in the future so hopefully i'll i'll um i'll do as many of those as well do you start with the golfing and then the other two or you put the uh, golfing in the middle the first one we did it was golfing was at the end so at we end. ran okay. ran first biked second and golfed um at the end um but i'm not sure what he decides to do in the future <laughs> he might mix things up uh, and you did like a hundred days of meditation is that part of your like daily routine are you trying to meditate every day I meditate every day, actually. So I stopped counting. Um, back then, I was like, oh, it's kind of a big deal. Like, you know, I continued you know, 100 days and I was using um, an app, Calm app, and there's a way to track it. Um, today, it's just seriously part of my lifestyle. I wake up, uh, go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, and meditate. Um, and if I don't, I feel like I'm something is off. Um, so it's just a way for me to start the day um, and kind of be with my thoughts and with myself. And yeah, I do it about 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really part of me now. Yeah. Wow. Great. And I, I think the idea of meditation as 
a part of enlightening yourself or being more mindful of your surroundings, trying to better yourself in terms of how you treat people more equally. It's, mm -hmm. it's all connected because for me, when I've tried to meditate, I, I try to do yoga five minutes every morning. It's only five minutes, but it's like you said, if I can do it every day, it, it makes me feel better no matter what I do. Mm -hmm. And if I don't do it, the rest of the day, I'm feeling kind of off, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but as part of yoga, like meditation, your whole aim is to just think about nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to do. Yeah, it is right? hard. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I can't do it. I don't, I don't know a lot of people who can do it. But if you try to clear your mind, new ideas are allowed to come in. And that's, that's when you can think of solutions or make connections for yourself from mm -hmm. problems that you're trying to work out, right? So mm -hmm. in terms of writing this book, in terms of trying to live your life as a, as a role model for your child and other people, it's, it's all connected. It's, a, it's all a part about trying to be a better person, right? Yeah, I think so. No, um, yeah, it's just kind of going back to like the, I want to be the best version of myself. And, you know, um, and I used, used to have this ideal, like a future me, you know, image of myself. And it's changed um, quite a bit, um, especially after this uh, experience. And I think it's okay to change. Um, but uh, I, the one thing that hasn't changed is I, I want to be the best version of myself um, today. And, you know, um, I try to live that um, through, you know, practice, you know, meditation is a practice as well. Yoga is practice. So just because like, I have a really good day one day, it doesn't mean I perfected my life. It's just like a continuation. Um, I make a bunch of mistakes. I sometimes don't even call out a sexist comment that was made by someone that I should call out, you know, especially if I'm calling myself a feminist. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a great opportunity. Why didn't I do that? Um, you know, I have those days as well. So you have, and to, I think it's, you have to choose your battles though. Yeah. Cause yeah. It's, it's exhausting. If you yeah. have to do it all the time, every time, it's it's like sustainability, right? You can't yeah. make every sustainable choice that's possible, right? You have so to true. make your best choice with what's available at the time, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's you. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, it, it, exactly. Um, so, you know, it's I, I think it's just learning, continuous learning, and practicing. Okay, how can I be the best version of myself today? Um, and just applying that whatever you know, um, in your everyday life. Yeah. I've got this quote um, from your book, and you say, whenever you solely rely on the decisions other people made for you, you are living a scripted life. Living an unscripted life is living your truth, knowing why you do what you do. And I think that so closely goes along with mindfulness and uh, seeking truth and observing and speaking out all the things that you talk about in your book. It's really beautiful. Thank you so much. No, oh, thank you. Yeah, I think um, an easy life is um, the, a life that you don't have to really think deeply. You just kind of go along like, you know, oh, this is how it should be. I don't have to think, you know, I'm going to live this life. And 
you know, it might work out for a lot of people. That's okay. I'm not criticizing it. I've lived that life for a long time. Some some days I feel that way too. But when you stop thinking, um, you're not trying um, to be the best version of yourself. I feel like um, I think thinking is a really good thing. It's it's good to think about things. It's good to think about yourself. It's good to think about your life. Um, and that's when you go through this transformational experience. I feel like so. I think an unscripted life you. You're gonna to have to do a lot of thinking for yourself, um, and in that process, I, I feel like you'll you'll f- see your truth, you find your truth, whatever that might be. And it's often it's not something a lot of people tell you to do. You know, it can be, it might be very different. And I think if you have that courage to follow your truth, um, it's gonna be a very unscripted life for sure. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for joining today. Uh, We have a comment from Matthew on Facebook. Thanks, Matthew. He said, if I recall, it's kind of a misunderstanding, at least in the Soto branch of Zen, to strive for non-thinking. Your mind is active. If thoughts arise during meditation in the Soto sense, non-attachment to those thoughts is the goal. Wow, very philosophical as our last comment. Good job, (laughs) Matthew. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shu, for joining today and for all your great stories and for writing this wonderful book. I think we need more voices from men speaking up about inequality and about how speaking up and living a more thoughtful life can also be more freeing for you as a man, not just for being a feminist for women, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining today. Thank you, Shu. JJ, and, thank uh, you so much for having yeah, me. Yeah, thank you. And tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., we're talking to Lee of Lee's Bread. She has an artisan bakery in Oiso, Kanagawa, and she just started a brand new Uh, shop and bakery so she's going to talk to us about surviving covid and her new shop and some of her new products as a baker (laughs) so please join us tomorrow thank you so much for joining today everyone take care thank you shu thank you bye thanks for joining us today And a big thank you to Hiko Simon via SoundCloud for the royalty-free background music that I use in all of my Seeking Sustainability Live talk shows for the background music. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Have a great day. Take care.